Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Here's the creed of postmodern morality. Do what you want, but do no harm. That's it. Doesn't matter what you do as long as whatever you do doesn't hurt someone else. Isn't that what we would say? And so social justice seems to be about fair play, equal treatment, and mutual respect. Just just live your life, do your thing, don't hurt other people. And so my question is, why isn't that working? If do whatever you want but do no harm is the mantra of the modern time, then why isn't it working? I mean... We preach social justice, we talk about social justice, but from my perspective, it seems that the society that we live in is growing increasingly unjust. Why is that? Solomon had the same issue. Let's get our Bibles out, let's turn our devices on, let's go to uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We've been looking at this brilliant book. of. It's really a book on exactly where we are as a society today. It's, it's a book on postmodernism. And uh, the prevailing concept is vanity of vanity, all is vanity. And so you have this nihilism, uh, this sort of despair that runs throughout it like a, like a vein of a seam of gold in some cavern or mine. And, uh, and constantly he's coming back around to that theme, sort of a burned out wreck of a former believer. And that's really the the image that we get. And it's all due to the fact that he's trying to construct some meaning, significance, value, satisfaction on a life lived totally on the horizontal plane under the sun. Now, in chapter 5, verses 1 through 8, Solomon sort of has this lucid moment where he returns to his roots and he begins to talk with great clarity Uh, in opposition to the malaise of the spiritual ignorance that was all around him. And he talks about what it really means to worship God. But then in verses 8 and 9, he says something that's really disturbing. Now, as I looked at this and looked at various commentators on it, almost all of them would include verses 8 and 9 with everything else that he's going to discuss through the rest of chapter 5, which is really about greed and love of money and materialism, that kind of thing. Um, and they just see this as part and parcel of that, and they're probably right and fair in doing that. But as I look at our world and I see the social injustice and our and 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 the climate that we live in, and everybody talking about these issues, well, here's Solomon looking at oppression, and he says what I thought originally were some pretty disturbing things about it, and I thought. There are insights here that we need to dive into, so I want to take just these two verses today and look at them. Because here's what he says. If you see oppression of the poor and denial of justice and righteousness and righteousness in the province, denial of justice and righteousness in the province, do not be shocked at the sight. For one official watches over another official. There are higher officials over them. After all, a king who cultivates the field is an advantage to the land. He says, essentially, don't be shocked by the oppression that you see. But I have to say that I'm a little shocked by his attitude. I mean, is he really saying, if I see oppression and injustice and unrighteousness in the land, just accept it? 
Because that's what it feels like. And that's really where I started out on this. And I have to say, I don't want to accept it. I don't like that idea. If I see social injustice, I want it corrected. I want us to live in a just world, don't you? And so it seems to me that if a person says, if you see uh, oppression of the poor, uh, don't be shocked by it. Well, he's just sort of contributing to the overall problem by saying, well, you know, let's just throw our hands up in the air and let's just accept it. Um, And this isn't the first time he's confronted injustice with a cavalier attitude. Look back at chapter 4, verse 1. He said, again, I observed all the oppression that takes place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed with no one to comfort them. The oppressors have great power and their victims are helpless. And if you remember when we looked at this, I'm like, wait a minute, I'm not going to give him a pass on this. Solomon was the king. He can't say uh, their oppressors have great power and there's no one to then the victims are helpless because he's responsible for helping the victims. So what's going on here? In both cases, Solomon seems to to, uh, conspicuously lack a sense of personal outrage. Why isn't he mad? Look at over chapter 7, verse 7. He says this, for oppression makes a wise man mad. And so I read this and I go, well, then why aren't you mad, Solomon? Why aren't you getting upset about this? Is he condoning it? That's what I thought. But then I started seeing him not so much as a cynic, but more of a pragmatist. I think what we see here is a natural man is making a statement about the nature of men. This is is simply a statement of fact. And in these two little verses, I can lift out four really important insights to help us to understand our relationship in this social struggle we have for justice. And it really helps us to understand it. So let's talk about four things we learn about injustice. And Solomon uh, is obvious on the first one. He says, first, injustice is common. He says, if you see the oppression of the poor, don't be shocked by it. Now look, Solomon is not saying it's acceptable. He's saying it's inevitable. And there's a difference there. What he's saying is a matter of fact, it's inevitable. Why is it inevitable? Why is oppression always inevitable? And I think it's this. It's inevitable because we only want to deal with morality on a societal level and not on a personal level. That's the the core issue. And it goes back to what what the, the mantra of the modern times is. Do whatever you want. In other words, ignore the personal moral obligations you have as long as you harm no one, which is only a societal side of the moral problem. C.S. Lewis talked about this in his brilliant book, Mere Christianity. It's a little cerebral, but man, it's incredible. He says there's two aspects of morality. The first and most obvious is the social aspect. This is the sphere of morality that happens between human beings living in society. He says then there's a second aspect of morality that involves the morality that happens within us. This is who I am. These are character issues. These are core values that drive my life. This is the the point of my life that has been brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ so that those base impulses and drives are not considered legitimate. They've been delegitimized. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, they've been brought into some, some semblance of control. But that battle with the old man kind of stays in play throughout my life, right? But I become civilized as I focus on personal morality. And so here's what he says, C.S. Lewis. There are two ways in which the human machine goes wrong. 
One is when human individuals drift apart from one another or else collide with one another and do one another damage by cheating or bullying. The other is when things go wrong inside the individual, when the different parts of him, his different faculties and desires and so on, either drift apart or interfere with one another. So he says that in order for morality to really work, in order for justice to occur, you really have to deal with both sides of this problem. And here's what he says. You can get the idea plain if you think of us as a fleet of ships sailing in formation. The voyage will be a success only in the first place if the ships do not collide and get in one another's way. And secondly, if each ship is seaworthy and has her engines in good, uh, in good order. So there are two sides of morality, social and personal. The social aspect says our ships must not run into each other. They can't ram into each other. The personal aspect says, I have to tend to my ship so that it operates properly. And here's the problem. Today in our world, they only want to focus on the first part of the issue, which is the social aspect. Do whatever you want, but do no harm. But if you can't control your ship, then you can't not collide with other ships. I cannot do whatever I want and do no wrong, because if I do what I want, then it's I'm bound to interfere with do, you doing what you want, and eventually there's going to be conflict. That's what we see happening in our world today. You have to take care of your ship too. Amy and I were talking about this and, and uh, dealing with C.S. Lewis over breakfast, and she said, I've got a personal example of this happened to me this week. She said, I was coming home driving my car and I went to turn a corner and there were some pedestrians walking in my lane toward me. She said, so I kind of had to swing wide to give them room to create safety. And as I did, I moved into the other guy's lane uh, who's coming the other direction. And she said, I had plenty of time to get back in. But suddenly in that moment, his right front tire came off his truck, just came off. And, and I said, seriously, it just came off. She said, it just came off. And it's, I said, what's happening? She said, it's bouncing down the road at me. I said, well, what'd you do? She said, well, I couldn't move over because I would hit the pedestrians. And so I thought, I'm just going to hit this tire right now because there's nowhere else for me to go. I said, what happened? She said, well, suddenly at the last minute, the tire hit something or bounced sideways and went sideways and bounced into the ditch and went bouncing off into the pasture. I said, what in the world? What happened to the guy's truck? She said, well, whatever that stuff is underneath behind the tire, she's not real mechanical. Um, she said, it just sort of ground into the ground. I said, so he's, he's running along on his brake rotor? And she goes, yeah. And I said, was it gouging the, the asphalt? And she said, yeah. And it kind of spun to sort of a half stop right there in the road. I said, what in the world? She said, yeah, and that's exactly what you're talking about. She said, this guy didn't mean to create harm. He wasn't trying to cause any trouble, but his truck was so broken down that his tire fell off. And I thought, that's exactly what we're talking about. I mean, and, and think about it from that guy's perspective. I mean, that just ruined his day, right? Not only did he almost hurt someone by hitting someone else with his wheel, but now he's got a truck without a wheel in, in a road somewhere that he's got to figure out how do you even get a jack under it to jack it up to put another wheel on it? And you've only got three wheels left. What are you going to do? So he's got a problem, right? But then I began to think about this, and, and I turned it over in my head, and I thought, think of the incredible series of negligence, mishaps, and misadventures that have to occur before your front tire flies off your vehicle. 
I mean, you don't want that to happen, but surely there were some warning signs missed. You see, nobody wants your tires to come off your car. That's an important thing, right? We all agree with that. And so they, they do a really good job of making sure your tires, your wheel stays on your car. There's these things called lug nuts, and, and they'll have between four and eight. Some may have 10, or they got a bunch of those things, and they tighten them down real good so that your wheel doesn't fall off. Now, you gotta, you gotta, you can't tell me that I'm driving a truck down the road and there's no signal of problem before the wheel falls off. Now, I don't know, maybe the lug nuts were all tight and maybe a bearing burn up and the whole thing just sort of severed. I've had two or three people since the first service go, now, wait a minute, I was pulling a trailer and my wheel came off. I'm like, okay, well, maybe they'll come off with bearings or what. I'm not a mechanic. But I'm saying that if I got a truck and something's going bad enough for my wheel to fall off, I probably had some notification early on. Now, I'm going down the road like this, you know, I got one lug nut left on and, I'm do and it falls off. Well, if you live your life with one lug nut, you're going to hurt somebody because you're not taking care of your ship. You're not taking care of your truck. And you can talk all you want about do no harm, but eventually, and that's what's happening in our world, we keep crashing into each other because the wheels keep coming off our private lives. You see, without personal character, you can't have social justice. And so Solomon says, don't be shocked by it. Don't be surprised by it. How could you possibly be surprised? How can we possibly be surprised in this world? It's like... It's like living in a world of barbarians and being shocked when they act barbaric. And we have raised a generation of barbarians. And now we're shocked at the barbarism. Here's a couple of examples. Men are called to treat women with the utmost dignity and respect. That's what I was taught as a child. And that wasn't Christian teaching. That was social teaching. It was protect women Make sure women are, are taken care of. Honor women. Make them safe around you. But if you don't emphasize character and deal with lust, then men are going to act barbaric and women are going to be abused. And now we're shocked that women are being abused. We're called to treat people equally. But if you haven't dealt with your hate or your racism, then someone's going to be mistreated. You're supposed to honor those in authority. How can you do that when your heart is full of rebellion? We're called to be compassionate to the poor, but your greed runs your life and ruins your best intentions. You cannot be socially moral if you don't fight for personal morality. Here's what C.S. Lewis said. What is the good of telling the ships how to steer so as to avoid a collision if, in fact, they're such crazy old tubs they cannot be steered at all? So why, do we why don't we focus on, on personal morality? Here's the second insight. Without Jesus, we're powerless over our nature. It's in our nature to sin. It's in my nature to sin. Uh, what did David say? In sin, my mother conceived me. But here's the, here's the, here's the, uh, the, the credo of, of modern culture. People are essentially good and if, um, and if left to themselves, they'll develop in a positive direction. So now if we see a, a guy going down the road and he's, he's a bad guy, what do we say? Something bad happened in his life. 
And it translates over into parenting. It used to be when you see a bad kid walking down the road, you'd look at that kid and go, there goes a bad kid. A little punk, you know? Not supposed to judge. But now if you see a bad kid going down the road, what do we say? There goes a bad parent. The Bible says that sin is in us. Listen to this. As it is written, there's none righteous, not even one, not you, not me, not none. There is none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There's none who does good. There's not even one. You know, I have the power of the Holy Spirit in me. I've been regenerated and and transformed by the nature of Jesus Christ. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old's passed away and all things are made new. And I'm sealed with the Spirit. I'm empowered with the Spirit. And yet I still struggle. So do you. Who doesn't struggle? You know, I was going to ask that question. Who in here doesn't struggle morally and uh, ethically? And I was going to ask you to raise your hands. Then I thought, no, because I'll have to call everybody a liar that doesn't raise their hand. Because we all struggle, right? Because there's none righteous, not even one, even with the Holy Spirit. Paul said, the very thing I hate, I do. And that which I would do, I don't do because he can't control the old man all the time. Now listen, if you and I struggle and we have the power of the Holy Spirit, why would we be shocked that a person without the power of the Holy Spirit in their life struggles too, even more? And here's the other side of it. Not only do they not have the Holy Spirit, they also don't believe in sin, so they aren't even going to try to battle it. Look, if there is no God, then there is no judgment There is no ethical morality to construct. There is no such thing as sin. So why even battle my carnal nature? And that's where we are today. C.S. Lewis, one last time. You cannot make men good by law, and without good men, you cannot have a good society. Third insight. The system that was supposed to foster justice is broken. Watch this. You know, we create a system of government to, to foster justice, but that system itself is broken. For one official watches over another official, and there are higher officials over them. So we have a system, but it doesn't work. Swindoll said the major problem is that woven into the fabric of that tightly controlled system is unaccountability and insensitivity. We have this elaborate system designed to prevent corruption, but the people that are easily corrupted run the system. It's the foxes watching the hen house. Okay, let me make everybody mad. I believe that if I've got to make people mad, I've got to make everybody mad, right? So let me make you mad. Did it bother you that you had a president who was a community organizer who by all outward standards was was worth $1.3 million when he went into office? He was in office for eight years. He came out of office seven years, and he bought an $11 million mansion uh, in, in, uh, on that island. What's the island? Uh, Martha's Vineyard. And Cora quotes him as being worth $135 million today. Here's a guy that started $1.3 million. He made $400,000 for eight years. Then he was unemployed. And today he's worth $135 million. Listen, that guy needs to be in a financial advisor because he's a brilliant at making money. All right, let's be fair. Let me offend everybody else. We were in Tanzania, true story. We were in Tanzania teaching pastors during a Republican president's presidency. 
And we had noticed that this Republican president was very, very popular with the Tanzanian people. They loved him. Those pastors loved him. And it turns out he had, through the government systems, invested a lot of American dollars into East Africa. In fact, there was a big bill benefiting Africa called the African Growth and Opportunity Act. And the pastors in that area were talking to us, this is a Republican president, were talking to us at the time and they said, yeah, they were talking about his gold mine in, in Tanzania as if everybody knew about it. And we were like, wait, what? He's got a gold mine in Tanzania? And they said, no, he has two gold mines in Tanzania. Now look, I'm not saying this is corruption. I don't know enough about all that. But if I didn't know any better, I might say that those in power tend to have an unfair advantage. Is that fair? We have this elaborate system to ensure justice, but it's not always working, is it? It's broken. Fourth insight, and here it is, that system that we have is better than no system at all. It's as if Solomon throws his hands up and he says, after all, a king who cultivates the field is an advantage to the land. In other words, it's better to have a flawed system than no system because without it, we'd have worse than injustice. We'd have anarchy. So what do we do about this? Solomon doesn't give us any help. He just sort of says, this is as it is. Don't be so shocked by it. This is a statement of fact. Fortunately, we have the rest of the Bible. And when it comes to social justice, especially as you turn to the pages of the New Testament, you listen to Peter, Paul, James, and those guys, here, here's how to rebuild. Here's how building social justice works. Now, if you look around and you see oppression, the first question you need to ask is, who can I control? You see, what we always want to ask first is, who's responsible? Who's doing this? Why are they doing this? And we get mad and we rail against the machine. That's not the question. This is the first question I'll talk to, to like a, a young couple will come in or an older couple will come in and uh, one of them is being unfaithful. And I'll ask the person, who can you control? You can't control that other person. you got a grown child who's a re a rebellious. I asked the parent, who can you control? And, and in this case, we need to ask, who can I control? I can't control the government. I can't control bad people. I can only control me. And so here's the first thing, tend to your vessel. If I'm a ship and you're a ship, then we need to tend to our vessels and make sure they're seaworthy and that they can be steered. So it starts with me. I have to examine myself. I have to deal with my stuff. And my problem is I've got blind spots. There's stuff in my life I can't see. Now, you can see them. You can see my blind spots. I can't see them. And I can see your blind spots. You can't see them. And so together, we got to help each other see those blind spots because we have to be able to see ourselves clearly because we don't. One time I was over at Randall's getting gas down here down on the corner. And it was years ago, and I'm, I'm getting gas, and so I'm standing there watching the pump, and this girl comes up, and she's in like an older model Impala, you know, the kind with the gas caps behind the license plate. So she backs the car up. She gets out of the car, and she's yakking on the phone, just talking, talking, talking. She's on the phone talking. And uh, she walks over to the machine where, where you put the money in, and she's like, beep, 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 beep. And then she goes and gets her hose, and she comes around back, and she flips the thing down, and she undoes the gas cap and sets it on top of the car, and... Then she goes and puts it back. Click, cancel the, the deal. She gets back in her car and she starts to drive off. I'm watching her. I'm like, I'm about to yell, hey, wait, 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 wait. You're about to lose your gas cap. It's still on the back of her car. She only pulls forward about six feet and stops. And I thought, like, oh, she couldn't reach. 
She gets out. She goes back in. Beep, beep, beep. Now, she's still on the phone, yakking, talking, 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 beep, 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 still talking. She gets the thing. She comes around, gets her foot up, lifts the gates, get down, sticks it in like that. I mean, this girl is like quadra, you, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, it's not dyslexic, but um, I can use both hands. She can use both hands and feet. She's whatever that is. <laughs> She sticks that thing in. She's still talking on the phone. She's talking, talking, talking. She'll walk over and look at the numbers, and then she'll talk. And, and, and I'm sitting here finishing up, and I finally finish up. And as I get in my truck to pull off, I look over, and she's still talking on the phone, and the numbers have quit spinning. She's already full, but she's still talking, you know, just talking, talking, talking. And I thought to myself, that is one distracted chick. So I had to go to the hospital. I went to the hospital, and I saw several people at the hospital. And when I came out of the hospital, I walked out to where my truck was parked, and I looked, and my gas door was open, and my gas cap was hanging out. <laughs> and I said, that is one distracted dude. I was distracted by her distractions. And this verse came to my mind, Matthew 7, 3. Why do you worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. And you know what the Spirit said to me? Die, get your log out of your eye. That's my problem. We love to rant and we love to get mad and we love to talk about them and, and all of that stuff. Me hating things will not, make, will not change anything, but me dealing with me changes everything. So you deal with you. I can't fix his ship, but I can, I can deal with mine. Second, speak the truth, Ephesians 4.25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, each of you speak truth with his neighbor for we're members of one another. Speak biblical truth, not political truth. The problem with political truth is it only speaks the truth from the perspective of your political agenda. The, the biblical truth is going to speak truth to every side of a situation. And we do that in love. There's more to social justice than simple cliches and tired platitudes. Speak truth. And finally, share the gospel. If society is the composite of the individuals within it, and we transform the individuals within society, then do we not transform society? The most socially justice thing you can do is share the gospel. Because when I share the gospel with you and your life is transformed and you deal with your stuff and I deal with my stuff, then personally, we've got ships that can move in formation. And when we share and he shares and she shares and they share, all of a sudden we live in a world that is way better of a world to live in. And let me just say this. I see that in the community that God is building here in this place. Uh, you don't know this. Nor, uh, Monroe and West Monroe are unique in our nation. This is one of the most churched communities in the country. And it's reflected in every area. I was with a 
scared young couple in an ER room. And the doctor came in, Amy and I were there, and the doctor came in and talked to them about their baby. And he shared some really thoughtful, helpful things. He said, look, I'm going to tell you the truth through this whole process. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to hold anything back. And we're going to talk in love, and we're going to cry if we have to cry, and we're going to laugh when we get to laugh. And it was just a beautiful time. But then he said this. He said, but you need to know that God's in charge of this, not me. I'm going to do everything I can, but God is our healer and he's in charge. And Amy and I, when we walked out of that ER room, she said, wasn't that impressive? And I said, yes, it was. And she said, you know, you just don't hear that. And I said, you do hear. I hear that all the time. I hear that all the time from doctors. I hear that all the time from nurses. I I hear it all the time. And there's a reason for that because the kingdom of God is being poured out in this place. That doesn't mean that everybody knows Jesus, but that means that when we stick to the knitting and we do what we're called to do, social justice is like the tail of the dog. It tends to follow when we become personally just, and then we apply that. It's not do whatever you want and do no harm. It's do what God wants and harm won't be done. And it's time for us to get back to that. Now, for you personally, that may, may your starting place may be a relationship with Jesus because you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have the power. That's where you start today. But for the many of us who've already embraced Christ and we've experienced the transformation of faith, it's time to get serious about taking care of our vessel and allowing the Holy Spirit to take control of those areas that we have held from Him. And say, God, I want to be the kind of person that fosters social justice. You ready for that? Because I am. And then we be sure, we we make sure that we're a part of bringing the gospel to bear in people's lives. You ready for that? I sure am. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we can't fix the world. We can't control politics. We can't control social systems. We can only ask that your Holy Spirit control us. So control us. Father, for those that need Christ in this moment, control them, change their life, fill them with the power of your Spirit. For those of us who walk in Christ, God, let Christ be be real and manifest through our lives. And Father, help us to realize that the solutions are not external. But we go to each person, not so that we can change society, but so that we can change that person and we give them Jesus. And when the gospel goes forth, not only is the person changed, but the world is changed. And we thank you for letting us be a part of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make Him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.